Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. Welcome back to Educational Triage. I am here with my good guide, Mr. Philip Summers. Howdy, Philip. Aloha. And we aren't sure of why, but Christy Goodell was unable to make it tonight. Hopefully everything is well with her and we will find out. So as we go in today, we're going to be talking about credit recovery. Credit recovery seems to be a huge issue since lockdown. It has been permeating every hallowed hall that we have in this country, uh, different people. So I thought maybe we might define what credit recovery actually is, and then we could as well we could look at some of the history to get to where we are today and take a look and see what it is that we're actually doing with credit recovery and whether or not it works, whether or not it actually makes sense or what we should be doing if it's not happening already. That sound like a cool deal there, Philip? It sounds like a cool deal to me. Yep, it does. I say that Great. kind of hesitantly Great. because I'm, I'm sort of kicking around in my head. <laughs> when I was in high school, it never occurred to me that I couldn't not pass the class. So I had to pass the class because I don't think I ever was made aware of any opportunity to ever make up a class. I guess they just made you go to another year of high school. And then somewhere along the line, it, it became sort of a thing where you could take the class again. It was summer school. I remember taking summer school. And then, of course, I, I didn't take high school for a while. I went to the adult world and I came back as a teacher. And then in alternative ed, we had the, we had high school completion courses. And then we had credit right. recovery in the summertime. I recall that. Right. And then I actually did teach a high school completion course. Whereas when kids came to the end of their high school career or they were finding themselves, most of the time they found themselves just wanting to get to the next best thing, as I put it and they wanted to get the heck out of Dodge, they went to the high school completion mm -hmm. and did that and went on to that thing. So that's how I kind of understood it. And um, okay. so there's more, I guess there would be more to that. I could certainly see how the pandemic really accelerated the need to make up credits and, and made people who wouldn't ordinarily not complete courses, not complete courses. So yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. I was just starting to kick it around in my brain going, wow, it's, it's a new thing. And then it's an older thing too, huh? It, it is an older thing. Here's, here's the genesis of it, and here's how it's progressed through the years. And that is, well, I'm going to go back to 1977. But in the past, the business of credit recovery was not a money-making machine. Districts lost money on credit recovery because they only had a certain amount of time during the summer where they could do it, and they were not given seat time monies for students repeating a course. 
If a student mm -hmm. had to repeat a course, mm -hmm. the district was not reimbursed for that student. So during the summer, they would offer um, some coursework. And I even remember that the district where I work, even though it's a, it, it tends to be a wealthier district, they were charging parents and charging students to make up the classes, thinking that that was going to uh, motivate students to not fail a course. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, if yeah. you take a look at the reasons why students actually fail the course, this was a highly problematic and inequitable decision to make. When, when I went to high school, but, the reason I took summer school courses is I did, I just always had problems with algebra or math rather. So I, I didn't feel confident in my algebra skills. So I actually took a summer course mm -hmm. to fortify them. Yeah. Well, well, when I was, when I was a wee one, <laughs> I know that our local high school um, in Portland actually offered summer school classes. And so here I was in elementary school and there were other kids from my same school who would go to that high school and we did things. We did plastic shop. We were in the yeah, yeah. shop yeah. and, and I made yeah. salt and pepper yeah. shakers, yeah. you know, um, we did other classes and it was really kind of fun. It was stuff that we got to do during the day that went along with our interests. And it was just a blast, you know, and we also had physical fitness. And so they taught us PE and stuff. It was just yeah, a yeah, lot of yeah. fun. And for the and it was a great way for parents to get rid of their kids. I remember that happening in L.A. too. I was very young, but they had a, a program in the summertime in L.A. in Glendale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. It it I it when I heard that people were doing summer school, I thought, how do I get up? How, how do I get to go? You know, and then I discovered, oh, no, that's the, because they did not get credits. So the district started giving a student could only make up maybe one class. Maybe a full credit or maybe a half a credit, and that's all that they would allow. And it was very, very limited. And it wasn't until more recently that districts were finding that they have a uh, ton of kids, especially after COVID, that needed to make up a lot more coursework. Mm -hmm. And there we are. Yeah. So there are, um, a few years ago, I developed the credit recovery course for our high school. And I also created a, a high school completion course that was based off of the model that you were working from I believe. yeah yeah and, those, yeah. We, and and what we did was we worked off of competencies proficiencies and mm -hmm. put all those yeah. together so yeah it wasn't simple but the but the students had to prove themselves and they were able to explore and it went for example history world history we actually did the world we allowed the students to explore that part of the world that interested them the most to find things out uh, yeah. on two different levels. We went from the primitive to maybe up around the Renaissance and then from there on. And so they could find out more about their own peoples. They could do whatever they wanted. And that was through a series of videos. It was through a series of texts. Um, and so it was a hyperlink doc that 
where they would click on things and it would take them to different. And, and so, and the students just said, and that, you know, it was a very difficult thing, but it was interesting. So now everything has gone to computers. Perhaps that in itself is a little problematic too. What they discovered was that from the 1950s up until around uh, No Child Left Behind came out, that competencies had actually started to diminish. Isn't that fascinating? What? Now what? So competencies. Competencies. Yeah. Yeah. Like reading and writing, mathematics. Mathematics. Um, cultural literacy with history and geography and all that, that they started to diminish and which is really kind of interesting. So what happened, my understanding from all the research and all the literature I was reading is that no child left behind then took it more from an academic standpoint and made it so that, and that's why things started to become more siloed was because all of a sudden all the testing, everything that happened focused in on the academics of that subject area. And so no longer were we looking at whether or not a student could write a good cogent paper or read things, even though they're being tested in it. So can you write a decent paper in science? Can you demonstrate the ability that you understand what's going on in science. Now it's all Mm. academics. So the, and the biggest problem with that is when you hit the vocational strands. So let's say kids are doing auto shop. Let's say that kids are doing wood shop. They have to as well demonstrate academic abilities in those areas. That's what no child left behind and every single ensuing program from the federal government has demanded. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. instead of, so instead of a person showing proficiency, let's say I'm in wood shop and I can do, I can make a piece of beautiful furniture, let's say in wood shop. And I know exactly what I'm doing. I may not be able to pass that class because I did not do the reading, the writing and the arithmetic the right way. Yeah, that's because exactly. That's going it. to be judged in there. It doesn't fit. No so, can. yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So that's one way of looking at what happened with academics lately. And so we're no longer looking at proficiency. We're no longer looking at the competencies. We're looking at whether or not. Um, and I understand that that makes sense, but not with the vocations. The vocations, I believe, should be how well are you able to do these things because it's performance-based, correct? Well, one of the things I always told the the kids was that uh, it's, it's a, I like the the long-term and the short-term way of looking at things. Of course, life's long-term and we ebb and we flow. We get better at things as we grow older. Um, And so we take, if you want to take a snapshot uh, of something that's a short term sort of thinking that, that's a short term way of looking at things a more long term way of looking at things is say looking at speed so let's say we're looking at a, a, a car going by you um, you can say how fast it's going you can say the flow of it you know how fast is that car going well it's going a certain speed um, now okay where is that car 
snapshot. Well, you have to stop that car at a certain spot to see where it's at. It's here. You stopped the car. You can't see how fast it's going. You can't see where it's going. You can just see where it's at at that moment. It doesn't really measure right. the potential, where it's going, its speed, what it's doing, just where it's at at the moment. It doesn't give you the total essence of that car. Oh, that's just where it's at. That's kind of a test. If a person's living a lifetime, the speed and direction and the essence of the whole car, you're just taking a snapshot with a test score. So it doesn't give you really exactly that person's potential, that person's speed, direction and everything. And so we're measuring people very inaccurately. And so outcome base gives you a very, gives you a better snapshot of that person, gives you a better idea of what a person is. Proficiency base gives you an idea of what that person can become in the near future to become a better person as they travel further into their far futures. But if you, but if you were to speak to, to the teachers, they would say, then you're talking about going back to portfolios. And that is, Oh no, no, that I'm is saying, something where people, people yeah. are going to chase you with pitchforks and, and no, no, torches. But, no, but I'm saying when you get out of high school, you can't expect a, every kid to be um, extremely proficient at all skills, but Every kid knows right. where they're going and what direction they're going. And as they go in that direction, they're going to sort of navigate their way in certain other directions as they get older. And they need a basic mm-hmm. basic set of skills. And we'll get them there. But we don't have to pound them into that same sort of furrowed set of skills to go forward thinking we know that direction is for them. We have to sort of let them get into those directions and get them a set of proficiencies to go forward with. So what you're, I hear what you're saying and yeah, that because now we're getting down into the fundamentals of the classroom of the structure of the curriculum and the structure of the school and how Which, that's all set up. Yeah. But the focus itself, it, 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 I used to you're teach talking like, more about the free. Yeah. I'm talking you're about talking more about the free think, academics. Yeah. Teaching how and to possibly think. I mean, looking but, the skills that you used well, that's to teach what, you how to think. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows how to read and right. write. Everyone's learned how to read and write and arithmetic, but there's also those things, how to, how to innovate within a problem and look, kids, you're going to be on your own. So you do have to do your taxes. <clears throat> you do have to face those but problems. I don't know do that to... not, but not everybody has learned how to read and write. But not everybody then, has learned the mathematics. And then that and is, that's, I mean, it's frightening. Yeah, it is. That is frightening. And that's a, and that tends to be in the poorer schools, the ones that don't get yes, all the is. money, the ones that don't get everything. And so that's where the inequity is, but let's get Absolutely. back to credit recovery then. Yeah. So here's, here's, I'm going to throw, you know, it, because right now it seems as though, and more and more, um, years ago, back in the nineties, I remember that there was Plato and that was something that everybody wanted. Now we have apex, we have edgenuity, we have odyssey. We, we have the Florida virtual, we have a huge number of platforms that districts are starting to use. And for them, it's so much cheaper than to have to put a, um, licensed teacher into the classroom to teach 
the students. And I've made no bones about my feelings about computer platforms for teaching because it's very, I believe it's very passive. It's very difficult if the students have questions. Sure, there can be a teacher who's in the room who might be able to help them. And yeah, they can get support while they're there. But that takes away a lot of the balance because in studies, what they've discovered, and there was one or two, I think that happened in Chicago. What they discovered was that it was more arduous for the students and it was much more difficult for students to complete the online Algebra 1 course than it was for those who had it face-to-face in a regular classroom. And then there was also the hybrid class, which had both. And what they discovered, I'm going to give, I'm going to give the, um, the easy peasy version of this from what I remember, because I don't want to give out bad data, but the, the kids who took the online did not score as well at the end. That makes a sense. A lot of sense. So whether or not that is because they did not have um, the ability to reassess and work with somebody else and talk to somebody and be able to process all of that around with them, I don't know. But it was really kind of interesting. Now, the scores, the scores really weren't that hugely different, but it answered something for me, which was, sure, you can have a hybrid. That would do well for kids because they could access both of them and they would have the one-on-one so they could process in different ways. And seeing how many kids are now working more online, but for every kid, sometimes being online is living in another hell and they need to have that face-to-face. They need to have the text, the, the, the tactile of the sheet of paper and the pencil right there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, we so, all know learning wise, it's just lectures, just certainly not the best way to learn, and and a disassociated right. lecture is definitely not the best way to learn. And I taught online for three and a half, four years, four years anyway, um, and I didn't notice that it it sort of mesmerizes you, and I also am noticing there's a dual screen thing going on. Um, Kids are online and then they're online online, which means they're watching. Yeah, because they're doing other stuff. Yeah, there's social media on one telephone screen and then there's the lesson on the Mm -hmm. laptop screen. So that's an interesting twist. Mm -hmm. And I had students that were on three or four screens because they had multiple computer screens. (laughs) I don't know how that was. And then they had their phone and their phone. So, you know, they say that multitasking is a farce because you are able to do a lot of things, but you can't really do any of them well. That's what I've heard too, yes. But so anyway, so what happened is all of a sudden teachers or districts are resorting to having kids do this because they are able to plow kids through credit recovery en masse and they can pack the classroom where you might have had a classroom with maybe 18 to 20 kids per teacher for the credit recovery so that they could work with them. Now you can pack it with 35 kids because they're all on the computer and that's all they're doing. And so they're just like little minions and it sounds a little bit like it's coming out of Algis Huxley or something, but 
you have um, that's all they're doing. And they're all just, you know, working along and getting it done. Are they really learning it, though? And can they really process and move into the next level? Or what is it that we're actually doing? Are we really teaching them what they missed in the classes because the computer program is something that's already prepackaged? And yeah, you can move things around, but Algebra 1 is increasingly the most failed class. That was that was my class that I had the difficulty with that I'd actually gone to summer school to try to get better. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, so. yeah, I have seniors that are in Algebra 1 and they still need another two credits of mathematics in order to graduate. And people are saying, well, do magic, do magic for them. <laughs> it's You've kind of tied my hands behind my back here because why isn't there some kind of remediation for a lot of these kids? Well, we have this one class and, and it's like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're tone deaf. You're not listening yeah. because if kids, if, if algebra one is really that difficult and if we have that many kids that are failing it, and even if you have 20% of kids failing a class, that's a lot. That's a huge chunk. So how do we remediate what it is that they do? So I'm going to throw one of the papers I read. They talked about some of the inequities of having to go through credit recovery. And maybe out of this, we might get some better ideas of how we should be doing credit recovery. And as opposed to just because a lot of districts, I know that mine does this and it it makes me angrier than I'll get out. They, you know, they already have this prepackaged curriculum and they plop the kids down in front of it. And there's been there's absolutely no nuance to it. It's just do everything that's there. And so let's say that let's say that um, Marigold uh, got sick, very sick, and she was hospitalized and she was an A student in one class. But then she's disenrolled from her high school because she's in the hospital because there was no way for her to continue doing her work because she was out of it. And then she comes back and she's better, but she's already been disenrolled. And so her grade has gone to a straight F and she doesn't pass it or a no grade. Um, And so she has to make that up. Well, she already did most of the work and she had an A. Why should she have to suffer through the entire course again? Why can't they pick up where she was when she stopped and just have her complete the course? Why is that not one of the remedies? Why do we have, why can't we, why aren't students being geared or not geared, but I guess, you, you know, somehow or other tracked in some kind of system so that let's say that you, Philip, you didn't do well in two of the three skills in the first quarter. And those are skills that you're going to need coming up in the next quarter. Why can't we remediate those skills and figure that out? Because you're not the only one that's going to need that. And then we work with you on that. and We find a way for it to become more relevant 
and it becomes a lot more accessible to you. So that way you can succeed the next quarter. Otherwise, what happens is you start falling further and further behind and we just get into this whole cycle, correct? The online academy used to, uh, I'd just call the teacher when I got the transcript if I had a way of getting uh, any kind of partial transcript or if I had the semester or the quarter grade, I would take that. Mm -hmm. And if I could get any kind of, if they had their work, I said, did you save your work? Is there any kind of way to go to the teacher and get the partial credit? Can you show me that you got uh, half a quarter credit? I'll take that. Show me what you did. And I would, I'd give them credit for what I can give them credit for. And then I would just reduce the class. I was using one of the online, um, I was using one of the online learning sites that they had. One of the ones that actually you're familiar with very well. And I would just yeah. take out the sections that they didn't cover and I'd cover them, have them cover them. So yeah. it was usually a 20 and see more. Yeah. But see, more and more districts are saying, no, you cannot do that. You need to give mm -hmm. them the entire thing. And, it, and to me, that seems inequitable. It feels problematic. It seems as though what you're doing is you are smashing the kid over the head with a textbook yeah. because of circumstances that may not have been through their own fault. Or maybe they came in and they weren't given the, the nobody checked them to make sure that they had the necessary skills in order to succeed in that class. And there was nothing there for them. So what kinds of supports are we giving students before they actually get into the class? Here's something that I learned. I was at a conference recently and I met somebody and we were talking and I, and I said, well, how does your district do credit recovery? And this person looked at me with a smile and said, oh, it's really simple. We find out what class that they need the credit recovery in. And we go to the library, we check out the textbook, and we hand it to them. I said, and? And they said, oh, they have to do the entire textbook. So think about that. <laughs> think about the English <laughs> textbook that districts use and forcing a kid who, for some reason or other, didn't pass the class, has to read every bloody thing in that textbook, answer every question in that textbook in order to receive one credit. <laughs> now that sounds that's punishing. It, it sounds a bit like it sounds a bit like overreach, doesn't it's it? It's punishing. That's I mean, <laughs> it's like saying, "Okay, you stupid little klutz." Now you're going to pay for it. What happens? What happens if that happens in math? Oh, Teachers no. do not teach out of the whole book. And here's the funny thing. I said, <laughs> teachers don't even teach out of the whole book. They might even, I mean, you're lucky yeah. if they teach out of a third of the book. And their board said, yes, but the teacher might allude to parts that are in the book. So this gives that student the knowledge of those illusions. I was on the textbook thought, committee that chose the English uh, for the district, and I didn't read the entire textbook. Trust me, there was four years of it, of course. But yeah, I mean, I I, I researched them quite quite thoroughly, but I didn't go cover to cover on those guys. <laughs> and but the interesting thing is. Okay, so you're put into a credit recovery class. I have you put in there, and you need a half a credit, and so that's 59 hours because I can't take anything out, according to the district. Oh. 
And let's say that you have some processing issues. So how do I modify that? Well, from what I understand, you cannot do anything. They have to stay as is. You cannot do anything. You can sit with the student and work with them, but you can't do any modifications. You can't do any adjustments, nothing, unless they have a modified diploma. And then that has to go through their special ed manager. And I wish Christy were here so that she could help us. So it's <laughs> because they, and here's the reason why, they want to make sure that the students are there for the entirety of the course, if that's a quarter or a semester. That's the only reason. You see hours. Well, they don't really get paid for those seed hours, though, do they? Because unlike high school completion, where they're taking a new class, if they're in a credit recovery class, they the district doesn't necessarily receive any seat time because it, they're retaking a class. That's that's true. So why not just cram them in there and see? Now here's here's where it gets very interesting. One third of students doing online in in the studies that I've seen so far, there are very few studies. I think I read, I read it in more than one place. I do know this. So maybe there were two. And what they discovered was that it's broken down into thirds. One third of students will complete all the work on time. They're motivated. They just want to get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. One third of the students will dilly dally, but eventually they may or may, they, they will most likely finish. And then one third of students will drop out. One third of the students will drop out. One yes. third? That's not acceptable. Well, that's, <laughs> well, if, when you don't give kids an alternative, if they have to do everything online, if you're not looking yeah. at adjustments, if you're not teaching to the student, because this is brain dead, it's tone deaf. It's bigoted, it's prejudiced, it's problematic. It's got so many things wrong with it. And yet they virtue signal about what great people we are and what wonderful things we're doing. I understand that you want rigor, but take a look. Okay, so let's say that, okay, we're going to go to Tommy Thumbsucker. And Tommy is not a good writer. However, Tommy's totally into computers. Now, if I can get Tommy to write a technical manual and I can parse that out so that it's chunked and it's in different pieces until we have one whole thing, and he has to do research, he has to do whatever, and so that is his writing project. Right. Why can't he get the English credit for that? Right. I mean, did, why, why, why am I barring Tom from society because he's not going to write well about transcendentals philosophy in the 1800s. Or the Enlightenment. Exactly, you know, exactly. Jonathan, yeah, a modest Jonathan, proposal just Jonathan didn't Edwards. float his boat. <laughs> well, I mean, because a lot of that language is esoteric and really archaic. I know, yeah, but, they love know, that language. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, it's it's just one of these things where they refuse to look outside of the box because they don't have any kind of imagination and they want to stamp out any form of creativity. Something that's, okay, if, if Tommy can write a technical manual, no. Tommy has a career in front of him. Maybe it's not something he wants to do, but it tells us that he knows how to read one, yeah. which how many of us can actually read on how to put the direct, how to put a bookshelf together? I mean, I. granted, it's all, it's all done with pictures now because I just finished putting together seven. Um, <laughs> and I'm working on a, I'm working on a cabinet right now. Um, you know, and except if, I have to learn how to do something and they put it in either very, very tiny, tiny writing or, um, you know, it's just really almost impossible to understand. Yeah. So novels. How if about he those? can do that graphic novels. Yeah. yeah I mean, think of novel. these. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But you know, if kids can do these things mm-hmm. and they're communicating, what is English? Let's take a look at English 9, 10, 11, and 12. What are the standards for those? That they should be able to read certain kinds of literature, that they should be able to do certain things with them, and that they should be able to write. Write a different kind of paper, an expository, a narrative, a research paper. I mean, we're based talking upon about the years things. and modes of like American literature would be uh, junior English would be American mm-hmm. literature for the year. So there you go. Word right. literature would be... Uh, a senior English thing, yeah. Right. And so, or even with math. Um, when I was teaching math, I told the students that what I wanted them to do, because they weren't getting it every time, that they had to keep a journal. So every concept that they had that we came across, we would go through it in class, and then they would write it down. And they had to draw pictures that went along with the directions. Because, you know, for story problems, it's like, here, write down the story problem. Write down what's the question. What is the information you need? Mm. And then take a step-by-step and solve for that. And then write and draw some pictures. Well, some of my kids that were failing, all of a sudden, on the state exams, they exceeded. And they used that method. It's all very simple. But it's very methodical for them to have to do that. Now, if they can learn how to do that, then I think they're well underway because it gave them a strategy for learning. And the same thing goes with English. I mean, if we give students things that they can read, sure, we can. When I've taught Shakespeare, I've had kids read it out loud. But then all of a sudden we have the advent of Audible. So I'm teaching Othello. And I told the students, I said, okay, open your books and follow along. And we went through and they listened to the audible version of Othello. And all of a sudden they gasped and they loved it because it was living inside their heads while they were doing it. And we yeah, stopped yeah, and, we, could talk. Yeah. and yeah. we went through it and it made it, and it wasn't them reading dead words. Because Shakespeare was not meant to be read. It was meant to be performed. Well, that's exactly so it. I that. always look for the live versions because 
I, I always rejected that. Let's read it as a class because it's, it really needs to come to life because those words are sung. It is in pentameter. It's a it's a song. It's meant to be sung, mm -hmm. stung, and and sweetened, and everything else in between. Those words are supposed to be performed. Yes, and I do know that the computer platform that we are using, and I'm making air quotes, um, they have Hamlet, but they only show excerpts from Hamlet. They don't show the whole thing. And of course, it's a four over. It's a Kenneth Branagh, and it's over four hours. But the students just—it's hard for them to really relate. It's all broken up now. If they had to sit in front of it and they had to talk about it, and they, you know, yeah. and we just went through the whole movie and we talked about different parts of it, that would be different. But it's not—it's not giving them an entire idea of what they're looking at. So they have context because you need context for Shakespeare. And then yeah, the language yeah. starts to fall into place. <laughs> and students, students need that. I mean, you can't say because 25 years ago, this was what worked best. You have to look at where students are coming from today. And so, and classrooms are becoming more and more, I don't know, they're... I keep seeing the same kids coming in and it's sort of like, why? And it's because they got, they were lost within the first couple of weeks of class for one reason or another. Sometimes their lives have been upended. Yeah. For one, you know, something happened. Sometimes it's, and I said this earlier, sometimes it's because uh, they just don't have those necessary skills. Maybe they transferred in and maybe they didn't have that. So they better catch up. We have this processing plant called a school and they are just sort of like on the side and the castaways. And this is how we try to reshape them and refurbish them in a sense mm -hmm. and sell them off as good enough. Well, I think you and I approach, they, approach it a different way. We understand that schools are, you know, they are that factory or that we try to refurbish them and, and we know that in a lot of ways they, they try to break down the character of the students and they break down our character as well. And maybe we're rebelling against that system ourselves by doing what we do. But I think what we're trying to produce is, you know, we're trying to produce an experience, not content. You know, I mean, my content is right. just a throwaway. I'm trying to give the kids an experience. You know, I when I had that rock wall built in the school behind our school, when mm -hmm. I was teaching the Everest thing, when I when I go out in the world and I was trying to bring the out there into the in there in the classroom, you know, I I'm just mm -hmm. going like out there going, look, I found something cool, check it out. It's an experience. Shakespeare, we just talked about that. You know, it's meant to be performed an experience, not to be read as content. It's not, you must read it as ninth grade content. You should experience Hamlet. Hamlet, is he crazy or is he conniving? You decide. I'll give it to you. You figure it out. It's a good question. Um, that's or is he just about. a spoiled little brat? Was he? Yeah. Was he just a spoiled little craphead, you know? But he, in the end, he got his like and that. everyone else got it too. 
but the, the whole point is oh i know all the administrators do is go are you teaching the content and it goes no i'm teaching kids i'm teaching human beings for a lifetime you're what is best numbers for the student yeah what is students. best for the child it's God, are I you don't... teaching the content yeah i'm teaching you know kids. the students come <laughs> the students learn experientially yep yep and if we yeah and they've got to experience the world correctly and you're just killing mm-hmm. it for them <laughs> yeah, i mean if all you want them to do is sit in their seats and be quiet i mean i've never had yeah. a more frustrating class than ones that are extremely quiet even when they take tests oh i hate, I hate quiet test classrooms days. i hate quiet classrooms <laughs> except 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 because what i do is I give essay tests because essay tests allow students to, it allows me to assess their writing uh-huh. and it allows them to express themselves. Wait, wait. And I get a better idea. I can say something about quiet classrooms. When essay tests are given and kids are really focused, mm-hmm. it's not quiet. There is a buzz it's in that not. classroom. You know it too. It's like, oh, wow. Yes. It, yeah. It's, that's not quiet. It's quiet. It's like forced quiet. And no talking is quiet. It's like, oh, it's a dreaded quiet. Intellectual quiet. It's a buzz. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, how is a person supposed to learn if they have to sit there and listen to somebody the entire time? Mm-hmm. There should be a dialogue that's happening in the classroom exactly. constantly. If I'm lecturing, if I'm lecturing, there are times that you do have to lecture, but you have to figure out a way to break it up so that it becomes less talky and more exactly. interactive. Even if you just have to say, I'm done talking, you say something now. <laughs> or let's say that I'm teaching genetics. I got. I have to find a way to get the kids interested in it. So I've got to find some activities for them. So that's the experience. And we, Liz Keeple and I talked about this in, um, when we talked about metacognition. Once you get them going experientially or have sort of a buy-in, so let's say that for genetics, uh, she throws out a what she called a curly question and she asks the students, <laughs> Are you human? How do you know? (laughs) And then the students have to start questioning and they, and you know, and it starts a discussion and gets some banter going. And so that you, you start looking at more of the foundations. I don't mind having a really good lesson that takes two to three weeks to get through. If the students are immersed and you can throw so much more into that. Yeah. rather than following a specific curriculum that everybody has to follow on a certain schedule. But back to credit recovery. Yeah, we thing. got, yeah, we kind of went to the same place. I went there and then you right. went there. But I think it's but I think for a purpose. <laughs> it's all intertwined. It's all intertwined because why do students need credit recovery? It's because they feel lost. It's because something happened. There are tons of different reasons. Maybe they're just not digging the school. Yep. And they have to be there because, you know, um, what it 
and the school says, you will be here and you will do this. Uh, how about the school says, you know what? Let's help you find a better fit. What is it that you would rather do? Well, I'd rather play video games. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, we, we've got to find something for them. So, and maybe they're just not on that maturation plane where they can actually, you know, take any of that information on. I don't know. Maybe it's because they've been so unsuccessful in school that they just can't get into it anymore. Because everybody has, everybody has their stop. So, let, because yeah. if you and I are playing basketball and I'm constantly killing you, and just knocking you down, and you feel bad because I mock you every time. What are you going to do? You're just going to say, "Hey, I'm done," and you walk away from it, and you're not going to go back. Yeah, well, yeah. If I'm trying to play basketball and you put me in with college seniors or playing, yeah, <laughs> Division One basketball, I will be destroyed. It's no fun for me. Yeah, right. I'm way out of my league. I was thinking about that as you were speaking. When I was growing up, I was accused of not trying hard enough. I've said this, I think, before in the air. And the fact was, I wasn't trying hard enough at the things that I wasn't interested in, or they weren't giving me in the way that I could succeed in, like the textbook. Um, and But I wanted to try hard enough. And when I found things that I could try hard enough in and succeed at and wanted to succeed at, I really succeeded. And it, that was what it was. Um, the credit recovery, they would have said, okay, well, here's the way it is. And that's the way you've got to do it, Sonny. And I would have been angry, like, but I want to succeed and you're not giving me any way to do it. And I know it. I don't know the way to do it, but I know this ain't it. And you're the ones that are supposed to know the way to do it. So what gives? What happened to innovation and education? Exactly. Seriously. I mean, are we really going down this path of least resistance because it's easier for us and it's not easier for the students? And it doesn't mean that we want the students to be blithely moving along and somehow or other regurgitating the information. They need to be living some of that information and understanding it. And granted, in our current process, some students know how to play the game and they and they get it. They're they're good at it. But then we have the other students who could very much be a huge contributing factor to society. That one third of students who will not pass their credit recovery <laughs> that could have yeah. passed it that you could have caught in the net had you not only allowed them to do everything online but had maybe a hybrid maybe you check out your alternative school laws that says at least in oregon that as long as 50 percent of the school in which this the alternative program is associated with or is in that they are that a teacher is allowed to teach any content area 
Of course, if a teacher is absolutely incompetent in an area, you don't want them teaching it. But that's <laughs> don't at the discretion of the program director or the principal. So you know what I was thinking I would, about that I scenario? Well, I was thinking about scenario in my mind, and I was going through that that role of me, the student, looking at the adult who was, well, what gives? I don't want to be in the role of the adult stoically saying, what do you mean, what gives? I, I want to be the adult going, you're right. I've got to do better. I don't want to just tell a student, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> you know, it's important. I, I, I don't want to give him a textbook and go, because I'm an unimaginative, stoic person who wants to just collect a paycheck and do whatever. I'm here for the kids and I will always be there for the kids. And if a kid's looking at me and I've failed them, I want to know how I failed them. And if a kid doesn't want to work, that's one thing. But if I've not gotten them to the next best place and that's just me failing, that's just me failing. And if, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if, if students are failing in your class and you have not done your utmost in order to try to help them pass that class, then you failed. Yeah. Or found a place yeah, you know, where granted, they could do it. Yeah, better. Yeah. Look, there are students that you're going to have, and I have as well, where you try to work with them. You work with them. You work with them. You build a relationship with them. You have that. And they're just not going to pass the class because they are mm -hmm. unwilling to do the work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes this is a student's only form of control, too, in their life. And so why aren't they doing the work? It may have nothing to do with you. It may have everything to do with uh, everybody tells them that they have to do their work and everybody's constantly telling them what to do. And True. this way they have, they, they have a shred of power and it's a lot of power right there. Now you can tell them how stupid it is that they're <laughs> doing this to themselves but you've just you're just keeping that narrative inside their head going. Yeah, yeah. You I are not. Tell them tell them. I'll let you fail. I'll make it damned hard for a while, but I will let you fail if you if you're intent on it. <laughs> well, what if we got rid of the word failure, and we just said, you know what? When you're ready, let me know, and we can move on with this. Well, for some students, it may be they may actually like time go over the time cap because uh we are on a time schedule which yeah. really sucks same thing with credit recovery as well so i do know that one thing that happened um in a district last summer was they took they were able to get some teachers together who could work with for three weeks and they taught the rudimentary levels of what the students needed um, in small groups. So students could go in there and they could take the class for three weeks for, let's see, that would be 12 days because it was four days a week. And they were able to pass the classes. Hmm. So that was a one-on-one. -on -one. But it was still a small group of students that went in. There were also students that did it via... Um, a summer school uh, curriculum in on the computer platform on, with the online. 
that was modified to actually hit the majority of the um, of the standards and just to get the students a way to make it through. So, um, but, you know, credit recovery, it's, are we, if we're going to talk about credit recovery, are we talking about punishing students? Are we talking about building them up so that if they go in, this is a, this is something that I ran into. We were teaching our credit recovery. We were using Khan Academy and we were trying to tailor it so that it matched the curriculum for the high school. Now, people said, why don't you work with the math department? And my comeback to that was, I have gone to my math department for seven to eight years asking them to work with me on this. And they always say, we're not ready yet. Come back in one to two years. And that one to two years has gone on and on and on until finally I snapped and I said, just give me your bloody syllabus will you let me see what your scope and sequence looks like give me something and they finally gave it to us but it didn't really tell us a whole lot so uh this one wonderful teacher jack leach rest his soul in peace um he and i sat down and we worked with khan academy we worked out some different we looked at what they were doing we worked out what the standards were we put everything together so that the students could learn, and we were working with that curriculum. Now, I had an administrator who said, no, shut that down right now. This is what you need to be doing. You need to be doing it this way, and wanted us to do the standard Algebra 1. Well, they weren't learning Algebra 1. They were learning concepts of Algebra 1 with some geometry and some other math concepts from other classes fine. But I finally turned around and we had a meeting on it. And I said, look, I understand where you're coming from because you're uncomfortable with it, but you don't even ask why we do it. And the reason why we do it is because if this kid is failing this class this semester, how are we scaffolding it so that they can succeed the next semester and build those skills back up? Are we doing that? Are we scheduling them for success? Are we just throwing material in front of them, telling them to do it like it's busy work and they have to be little ants who are at the bottom of a mud pit and they have to figure out a way to tunnel through the clay? (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) well, well, I just couldn't believe it. And then they pushed with the district office and they won. But still, here's, here's another problem with credit recovery. Yeah. Are the students getting the information they need so that they can be successful for the next level? Or are we just giving them something to keep them in their seats and keep them quiet so that they never want to miss another class again? Credit recovery is punishment. <laughs> is it? And I just so, wonder. yeah, because I think that it's time that we wind up, but, you know, I think we came up with some good ideas. I mean, you had some lovely ones. Some you as well. I, 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 I kind of do wonder. Thank you. <laughs> so, but how do we teach credit recovery? What is it in your district? And is it what's best for the child? Is it what's best for 
everybody concerned because is it going to propel them to succeed in another class or is it just busy work as punishment for them that's not really going to mean a whole lot to them and they're not going to find that useful in the next class down the line or successful at all i don't know yeah because isn't that what we want to promote student success i thought that's what we wanted to promote you know no child left behind thing well i thought that the motto of almost every single district was that we are going to educate every child well guess what how are you educating them with credit recovery how did you educate them before they fell into credit recovery now granted you're always going to have somebody who needs credit recovery for one reason or another but yeah. but 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 yeah 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 so yeah <laughs> So I just think it gives us something to think about. So thank you, Philip. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, you're welcome. And to everybody else, I will say sayonara, and we will see you next week. Have a lovely time. Aloha. Bye-bye.